But there is nothing I enjoy more than doing hard with good people. And these guys here, these are some really good people. I liked Dan Quinn yesterday. <laughs> I did. I didn't know what to expect from that introductory press conference, but I came away really impressed. Good morning. Uh, I'm here. Denton is here. You're going to hear from Phil Longo. I had him on my podcast yesterday. Uh, the former offensive coordinator at North Carolina under Mac Brown, the current offensive coordinator under Luke Fickle at the University of Wisconsin. He is good friends with Cliff Kingsbury. They have been contemporaries for years, and he had a lot of insight as to what Cliff Kingsbury is as an offensive mind and what he thinks Cliff Kingsbury will bring to Washington. You will hear that. Also on today's show, the first day of Super Bowl trivia. Uh, We will figure out a time to get it started, a level one question, which is fairly easy, a level two question, which is much harder, and then a level three question, which is very, very difficult. But if you can hit all three, you're going to win something, which Denton will explain before we start the uh, process. We'll do Super Bowl trivia every day uh, this week, at least one segment on the show of Super Bowl uh, trivia. Uh, Kyle Shanahan had some interesting things to say about the Dan Quinn hire at Super Bowl 58 in Vegas. We'll get to that and a lot more on the show today. So we will get to uh, playing some of the sound because I'm not sure everybody listening um, sat there and watched or listened to uh, Dan Quinn's press conference. This was a an 85% Dan Quinn show the other 15% Josh Harris and Adam Peters. Uh, and I, I did not know what to expect, and I, I will say up front, I think very often these introductory press conferences can be fool's gold. They can be head fakes. And you can, you know, you can surmise various things. You can decipher what kind of communicator somebody is. You can have a gut feel for what kind of person they are. Um, I always have fancied myself to be a keen observer of the human condition, as you all know. Many of you feel the same way, so you end up having thoughts, but they tend sometimes not to really bear out over the course of time. What I liked from Dan Quinn yesterday is I thought, first of all, as a communicator, it was very Um, authentic and conversational. It was not scripted at all. I mean, there were scripted comments to begin with, but after that, what you got was you got somebody who wasn't scripted. Um, And I always feel like when you're conversational and when you're listening to somebody for the first time and they're more conversational, they're comfortable being conversational, you know, sometimes it can result in, you know, going on too long on an answer or on a topic or maybe even getting a little sidetracked or getting tangled up a little bit. Um, I don't think people care on a day like yesterday, uh, but I think it's more authentic and I think it's uh, more of a reflection of who that person is versus when they are very um, withheld and, and scripted. And so uh, that was the first thing that struck struck me is Dan Quinn, his you know he's an off the cuff communicator, but he comes off as very honest in that effort. I feel like I was listening to a guy yesterday who was very self aware. It's funny, our good friend Burgundy Blog sent me a direct message like hours before. I didn't see it until this morning. Uh, Burgundy Blog, if you're listening, um, he sent me a message. Uh, several hours before the presser yesterday, and he just said, where is it? Um, He said, I'm not calling Quinn a genius or Rivera an idiot, but I expect in today's 2.30 intro presser and future ones, you will develop an impression that Quinn has superior awareness. That was very, um, very, very good as far as a pre press conference prediction on how I would feel. Uh, And I sense that maybe others felt the same way. Yes, he came off as very self-aware, very genuine too. Also innately bright. Um, I may be comparing that to the last guy 
who I don't think was brilliant by any stretch. Uh, I think he was much more concerned about people's reactions to what he said versus what he really meant to say. I think we learned that over the course of four years. There doesn't appear to be a political bone in Dan Quinn's body. That was different from what we had heard for four years from Ron Rivera. Now, look, I, Ron Rivera's hiring, I felt at the time, was a decent hire. Uh, I'll never come off of that. Um, I thought he was a good coach at Carolina, but he was different um, here, as everybody's been when they had come here with Dan Snyder as an owner. Let's not forget that as we look back at you know all of the coaches that coached during the Dan Snyder. Not one of them left with a winning record. Not one of them. Um, we had, you know, new coaches like Zorn and Gruden and Spurrier at the pro level. We had borderline Hall of Famers in Schottenheimer and in uh, Mike Shanahan. And we had a Hall of Famer come back for round two in Joe Gibbs. And nobody succeeded here. Gibbs was the closest to success because he got two teams into the playoffs as essentially, you know, a wild card, you know, late season run, but he still left with a losing overall record. Um, the, Rivera was doomed the moment he arrived in Washington, as everybody else had been. So it's completely different now than it's ever been or has been for the last 25 years. The person that arrived was going to have a better chance than anybody else that was here previously did. Ron Rivera came here as a guy with an impeccable reputation as a coach, as a player's coach, um, and as a good coach. And lots of you have hung on the you know more losing seasons than winning ones, but there's context to that. He was a good coach in Carolina. He was not a good coach here. Nor has anybody been a good coach under Dan Snyder here. Uh, But Dan Quinn, to me, was really impressive. I came away being excited about him being the coach. Legitimately excited about him being the coach. Uh, He's a leader. He is, uh, I think, kind of a player's coach. Um, And I think sometimes the honest way in which you communicate, even if sometimes it's not the smoothest of communication, works, especially in that environment. So we'll play a lot of the Dan Quinn sound. And then I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you thought um, and what what your initial reaction is. None of this matters until they start to play games. That's what matters. Understood. But still, we don't have any games to talk about here. On February 6th, we've only got one introductory press conference uh, to talk about, which, by the way, we learned various things. And you'll hear what he said about Cliff Kingsbury and why he hired him. You'll hear what he said about Eric Bieniemy and why Eric Bieniemy is not staying on. Um, you'll hear a lot of that. Um, so we'll start with that in the next segment. But I did want to start with a what do you got? All right. All right. All right. What do you got? So the commissioner during Super Bowl week holds that commissioner press conference on Mondays to kick off Super Bowl week. And one of the things that came out of it, I was really surprised at. Now, this is kind of an NFL schedule thing, which I'm very much into. Um, But the Eagles are going to host a game in Brazil on the first Friday night before the first Sunday of the NFL season. So we will have the Thursday night game to kick off the season on Thursday, September 5th, and that will take place either at Arrowhead or in Santa Clara, depending on which team wins Super Bowl 58 on Sunday. Uh, By the way, Washington does not play San Francisco. They do not play Kansas City, so they cannot be in that Thursday night season opener. If Baltimore had won the Super Bowl, there was a chance Washington could have been the opponent. But uh, the NFL, which has steered clear of Fridays uh, throughout its ex- its existence, uh, and then went to Friday last year, streaming via their relationship with Peacock on the Thanksgiving Day Black Friday with the Jet Dolphin game, which they actually offered free via Peacock. For years, the NFL really stayed away from Fridays and Saturdays during high school and college football season. There was 
kind of an understanding and to protect themselves against some of the, uh, you know, some of the the rights that they had um, with respect to television blackouts, etc. Um, they uh, did not compete with high school football on Friday nights and college football on Saturdays. Now, once college football and high school football ended, you got Saturday games and you got an occasional Friday game as well. But until last year's uh, Thanksgiving Friday game, the NFL hadn't played on Fridays. Well, they're going to play on Friday after Thanksgiving next year, and they're going to play a game in Brazil on Friday, September 6th, following the Thursday night season opener. And Philadelphia is going to host it. So they are going to give up one of their home games to play in Brazil. Uh, This upcoming season does feature nine home games for the NFC teams, eight road games. They flip-flop year in and year out. The AFC had nine home games this year and eight road games. And so they take those teams with that ninth home game, and they typically use those teams, with the exception of Jacksonville, um, as teams that give up home dates to play international games. But this year, when we get to you know the, the first full week leading into the NFL's week one, we'll get a Thursday night game in San Francisco, Santa Clara, or Kansas City. We'll get a Friday night game in Brazil. Philadelphia will host it. Washington could be. An opponent. Uh, the Eagles for their opponents uh, in 2024 for that season opener that they the teams that they have on their home slate, the NFC East teams, obviously, with the Cowboys, New York, and Washington. They also play Cleveland, Atlanta, Carolina, Jacksonville, Green Bay, and Pittsburgh at home. Um, and uh, you know, what we've seen with these early season games, there isn't an emphasis on creating the best matchup. It just doesn't matter who's playing in these games. People have such an appetite for football and the NFL, and because we haven't seen a game yet, they'll watch anything. Now, you get the Super Bowl champs, but you're going to get the Eagles on Friday night, and then we'll have the first full Sunday slate, and then I would assume, you know, a Monday night one game uh, because last year we did not have the two games on Monday night for the first time in a while. So the Eagles could play Washington in Brazil in Dan Quinn's first game. Uh, Who knows? I thought that was interesting, though, Denton. You know, there was a lot of controversy over them playing on Black Friday. And I don't know that college football was thrilled about it because that Friday has been a college football day. You'd have to refresh my memory on what the ratings of the Jet-Dolphin game were on Black Friday. The Jets were not a good football team. That was supposed to be an Aaron Rodgers versus Dolphins game when they scheduled it. Um, And we'll get another one of those this year. But to go that first Friday night, that's week two of the college football season. Technically, week three, uh, it's week two because there's a week zero, as you know, um, which is before Labor Day weekend. But there is usually a high-profile Friday night game or a bunch of Friday night games in that second weekend. There is a lot of Friday night games going into Labor Day weekend, but usually they have some big-time Friday night games going into week two. So the NFL is, for whatever reason, not really concerned about, you know, taking away from college football on some of their key nights. Friday night also is a high school football night uh, as well. Um, There wasn't an explanation of why uh, that they are moving, you know, to more competitive dates of the week with college football from Roger Goodell, yes, uh, from Roger Goodell. But perhaps the the nature of the Brazil game and the time, it's got to be, um, you know, it's got to be a game at night. So there you go. Maybe Washington opens in Brazil uh, on Friday night, September sixth. We'll find out when I've got the mock schedule sometime in early May. All right. When we come back. Uh, I'm going to play some of the things that Dan Quinn said, even some of the things that Adam Peters said, 
in the press conference yesterday that I found interesting. And then we will take calls before the end of this hour at 301-230-0980. I want your reaction to hearing Dan Quinn during his introductory press conference. There was some news made yesterday during his presser as well as it relates to Eric Bieniemy. Uh, we'll get to all of that when we come back. It's the Kevin Sheehan Show and the Team 980 to Team980.com. We are also free and live on the Odyssey app. So we've got a lot of Dan Quinn to play for you. Uh, we're going to play a bunch of it. We'll play a little bit of Adam Peters, too. The owner spoke yesterday um, here and there. Uh, you know, there wasn't any big bombshell from Josh Harris. This was mostly a Dan Quinn show with Adam Peters as sort of the lead supporting actor uh, role uh, during this press conference. As I mentioned, um, overall, I was impressed I, I was listening in from my point of view to somebody who's genuine, authentic, self-aware, conversational. Um, I think the discussion of Dan Quinn being a leader, um, being relatable, uh, being somebody that you know players believe in, trust in, I think that that came off during that presser. Uh, it did for me. Um, but again, ultimately the only thing that matters, is what happens on the field. Uh, I think it's going to be more interesting to listen to him than, you know, go back and forth from one answer one day from Ron and then an answer, you know, two days later that's the exact opposite of what he had said on Monday and he doesn't even remember it. I think Dan Quinn is straightforward, doesn't think about what the answer people want to hear uh and trying to deliver that i think he just tells you what he feels but again as i mentioned not to beat a dead horse but these things can be misleading um these introductory pressers bottom line is what he does on the field uh there's a big takeaway that i will get to um sort of towards the end uh and then i want to hear you guys as well but there are a couple of you know what I would call just you know open-ended questions that had to be asked where people wanted to get answers. Um, there was one specific to what he thought about looking at this roster. You know what personnel stood out as he viewed Washington's roster. Here's what he said: Man, was I impressed? You know, by the inside of the defense. You know, with the defensive tackles and knowing that. It starts up front on both sides, man. You know, defensive line and offensive line. So that was the spot that jumped out to me, you know, as the defensive tackles and then the skill, you know, at receiver. And you have to have elite players on the edge for the matchup. So when they come, David, you know, that's when you got to go attack. So those would have been the two things that jumped out to me. I certainly, you know, played against the club. So I know about more of the offensive players and game planning and studying, but, uh, this receiving group, you know, really had skill, and they would test you and push you and find matchups. And so, that to me, of guys, uh, that's where it stood out to me first. Now, let me just say that no one asked specifically about Sam Howell because he did game plan against Sam Howell on two different occasions this year. Um, they did ask a question about quarterback, which we'll get to at some point. But you know, it's the same answer that we would have all expected anybody to give a year ago. The defensive tackles and the you know wide receiver, the skillet receiver. I don't think it's changed no matter how bad the team was in 2023. It was a terrible performance by the team, one of the worst in franchise history. I still think that the best players on the team are Deron Payne, John Allen, and Terry McLaurin. Uh, I do think Sam Cosme has grown significantly in stature on this roster is one of the better players on the roster. Um, and he went right to those specific areas uh, and mentioned those and didn't mention any other area. Um, so maybe that was notable uh, as well. I still think, and maybe I am going to be you know proven dead wrong on this because he didn't have a great year, I still think that they have a potential dominant player in Deron Payne. Uh, it's just got to be coached, um, and somebody's going to have to get the best of him because the best of him is elite. I don't know that the best of John Allen is truly elite. It's steady Eddie. It's reliable. I don't know if it's elite. I do think Deron on defense is the one guy that still has ridiculous, freakish 
ability. But we didn't see it this year, and there's certainly no case to be made that we have seen it consistently since he has uh, been here. Um, And at wide receiver, there is talent. Terry McLaurin's talented. Is he elite? I don't think so, but he's certainly talented. Is Jahan Dotson much better than what we've seen in the first two years from a talent standpoint? I think so. Um, So with respect to sort of finding out specific things about how he feels or how he's going to handle things, one of the things we wanted to know is, is he going to do what he's done recently in Dallas, what he did half the time in Atlanta, which is call plays. I've said here the last couple of days that my preference would be that when you hire a guy like Dan Quinn for what he's done as a defensive designer, game planner, and play caller, I'd like to get that when he becomes the head coach. Uh, He answered that. Here's what he said. I think the big thing to, to get across, like the essence of a head coach is to put it all together. It's not to be an offensive coach or a defensive coach or a special teams coach. Like, it's everything, and that's what the essence is of the job. It's the chemistry. It's the messaging. It's the play style. It's the attitude. It's the swagger. Like, that's my number one job, to make sure all of this comes together. Um, obviously, I cut my teeth on the defensive side, so um, that part's important. But Joe will call the plays on defense, and Cliff will call the plays on offense. And I'll certainly be there. The game management portion is so critical. So I wanted to make sure the best version of me, like I said, is coaching the entire team and making sure our play style is so right that it's a nightmare for teams to play against between the personnel you know, that Adam puts together, the scheme from the coaching side, and then quite honestly for me, the play style to say playing against us is really hard. And the attitude, the speed, the effort, the ball hawking, the tackling, the finishing of blocks, the explosive plays, that's how you know we create a nightmare to go against. And we're going to work our ass off to do that. But as far as play calling, um, I'll be involved with it, but those guys will call the game. But the essence of this job as a head coach isn't just to be on one side. It's to tie everything together, and that's when I'm at my best. And so that's what I'll do. So Joe Witt Jr. will call the plays on defense. Remember, Joe Witt Jr. has been with Dan Quinn for four years, Uh, one in Atlanta, his final year as a head coach, and then the three years uh, in Dallas. So – Look, I, I, I think at this point, and he spent a lot of time yesterday talking about how after being let go in Atlanta midway through the season, there was a hard you know evaluation of what he had done and what he had learned and what he would do again and what he wouldn't do again and if he ever got this opportunity. He talked about you know he's waited for this opportunity and this was one that he really wanted um, in this particular offseason, but... Um, I was a bit disappointed to hear that, but at the same time, I, you know, benefit of the doubt for me right now. Um, he certainly has the ability to get in there and do it if if it's not done well. But it sounds like when he said, you know, I'll be in, you know, as far as play calling, I'll be involved with it, but those guys will call the game. That Joe Witt Jr. is going to just be an extension, you know, the right hand defensively of Dan Quinn, which is, you know, what some people have said he's been in Dallas the last three years anyway. So he was also asked about, you know, the two coordinators, but specifically about the hiring of Cliff Kingsbury to be the offensive coordinator. This was the hire that when we found out it was Quinn late last week on Friday, this was going to be the big hire. Joe Witt Jr. he's been with uh, he's, you know, a defensive head coach. So the OC hire was going to be critical. This is why he hired Cliff Kingsbury. Well, I think, um, I'll take you back a bit. And so when you're getting prepared for this, you don't, you're not sure what job you're going to get, you know, you're, you're thinking, okay, this, you know, opportunity, this opportunity. So it's a little different than being on their side where they were going to select where on the coaching side, you were going to see where would be a good fit. And, the coaching staff would be the fit irregardless of where you went. Okay, so for me, selecting a place that I would be able to potentially coach didn't have to do with did they have a quarterback or cap space or any of that. It was ownership and general manager and fan base and what you could create together because cap space changes. I was looking to say, how could we do something long term to kick ass for a long time and 
continue to play well, not just because they had won this or won that. So Cliff has always been somebody um, that I've kept up with. Um, years ago, we both coached in college, and uh, we first met each other at a, an award show and just kind of hit it off on that time and then competed against each other. I certainly followed his career you know, through his time at Tech and then into Arizona and competing. And so in the same way of why I wanted to hire Kyle years ago, like he was hard to go against. He would stretch the field horizontally and vertically and going against Cliff, those same feelings you had. This is going to be tough. Matchups, formation, <coughs> speed, shots down the field, aggressiveness, boldness to go. And so as a coach, you were writing down some names if this is something in your future that said, if I get that shot, this is somebody I would want to talk to. And so that's where the, the start came from him. Um, we're really pumped that he's going to be a part of it. Obviously, I know people talk about you know his acumen with quarterbacks, and that's proven. But he's also an excellent coach. He's not just you know a guy that's going to be with the quarterbacks the whole time. So I want to make sure I'm clear on that. Um, so a couple of things uh, about that answer. First of all, I, I made a mistake in saying that Dan Quinn, when he went back to college um, before he got to Seattle. Uh, coached with Urban Meyer at Florida. He missed Meyer by one year. He was actually Will Muschamp's defensive coordinator for two years at the University of Florida. So that's when he was back in uh, college football and Kingsbury was getting started at Texas Tech. Um, uh, A&M and then eventually Texas Tech during those years. He was the A&M coordinator for the Johnny Manziel year uh, in 2011. But um, they faced off twice by my count in the NFL. Uh, In 2019, as the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, Quinn went to Arizona and faced off against Kingsbury in his first year as the head coach of the Cardinals. Uh, That game was an absolute shootout. 34-33, Cardinals won it. They generated 442 yards of offense against Dan Quinn's defense. Uh, the Cardinals won by a point. The Falcons missed an extra point late in the game after a touchdown that would have tied the game with about a minute 50 to go. Uh, and then they faced off in the 2021 season with Quinn as the defensive coordinator in Dallas and Kingsbury as the head coach of the Cardinals in the one really good season that he had as the Cardinals head coach. The year they went 11-6. and six. They went to Dallas In the next to last week of the regular season, this was the first year of the 17-game schedule, they were 10-5, Dallas was 11-4, and it was a big matchup late in the season. The Cardinals had started off red hot, but they were playing poorly at the time. They were 6.5, 7-point underdogs at Dallas, and the Cardinals won that game. Uh, 25-22, another 400 yards of offense by Cliff Kingsbury's uh, Cardinals offensive team against Dan Quinn as a defensive coordinator uh, in Dallas. So head-to-head, Kingsbury's 2-0 against Dan Quinn in the pros. Um, I don't, I couldn't find another matchup uh, necessarily uh, at the pro level, um, but those were the two uh, that made sense uh, that that I found, and I could not find a matchup with Dan Quinn as the defensive coordinator at Florida in either 2011 or in 2012. Uh, or in 2012, um, that's not true. Actually, they matched up against Texas A&M in 2012. But I would ask you, Denton, in 2012, was Kingsbury at Texas Tech or? Was he still with Sumlin at AM? No, he was I, he was at AM. That was the Johnny Manziel Heisman. That's year. that's the Manziel year, not yeah. twenty eleven. Yeah. So they did match up that year and Florida beat AM twenty to seventeen early in that season. So AM's twenty twelve year uh started with a loss in college station against Florida. I kind of remember that game vaguely. Um, And then they got on a roll and ultimately shocked Alabama at Bryant-Denny late in that season. Um, Went on to win the – I forget what bowl game they were in. I just remember they blew out Oklahoma. Whatever bowl game that was in. Was it the the, uh, Fiesta? 
that they blew out Oklahoma in that year with Manziel. That sounds right, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was him on Wycliffe Kingsbury. Uh, and you're going to hear from a contemporary of Kingsbury's in college, Phil Longo, who we've had on the show before. He's the coordinator in, at Wisconsin uh, who's been close to Kingsbury for many years. You'll hear him next hour. Um, and then lastly, and we, I've got other sound, we'll come back after the break and play, but I wanted you to hear you know, the news that he made yesterday, which we all expected um, when he was asked about Eric Bieniemy. You know, I had a good visit, uh, Chick. I'm glad that you brought up EB because um, I think he's an excellent coach. And so I had a chance to visit with him uh, today. And so we'll continue that dialogue to go. He's, you know, no longer we're not going to work together here. But in this coaching brotherhood, I wanted him to know, uh, man, I really respect the work that he's done. And uh, as coaches, you know, we all stay connected even though we're on different teams. So I wish EB nothing but the best, and uh, he'll do a great job. I was really uh, pumped that he took his shot this year and went for it. And so I've got a lot of respect for him. So, you know, confirming yesterday, and I think we expected to get some news yesterday that Eric Bieniemy is not going to be a part of the Washington coaching staff moving forward. Uh, I, I think that this has been one of the fascinating stories over the last year. You know, it was just barely a year ago, a little bit less than a year ago, that, you know, Eric Bieniemy was introduced to the media, had an introductory presser that was really more suited for a head coach uh, introductory press conference. And there was a lot of discussion, remember, on that day, late February 2023, that really what was being introduced was the next head coach when Ron Rivera left after that season. I mean, there was a bit of anointing of Eric Bieniemy of the head coach, and I think for for those that were paying close attention to the Eric Bieniemy saga, and we talked a lot about this, and some of you really had an issue with it, but there was no other place for Eric Bieniemy to go last year because nobody else wanted him. Uh, Washington was the only team in the league that offered Eric Bieniemy that opportunity. Uh, and yet people went out of their way, especially nationally more than locally, to call this hiring of Eric Bieniemy last year this major coup. A uh, major coup? Really? Uh, he had no other place to go. Maybe back to Kansas City. Maybe. But nobody else was interested. And it's just been amazing the, the red flags that have been ignored as it, re- as it relates to Biennemi, including this offseason. Uh, to my knowledge, at this point, nobody's requested an interview for Eric Biennemi to be their head coach or offensive coordinator this go-around. I think maybe the Raiders, it was reported, were potentially considering Eric Biennemi to, to be interviewed. But look, um, it has nothing to do with anything other than For whatever reason, and there are probably a lot of reasons beyond just performance, because the performance this year, you know, as as Kaim has said so many times, it's like, if this guy's name was Bob Jones and he wasn't Eric Biennemi, would anybody be talking about him based on the performance this year as an offensive coordinator, based on the quarterback that regressed as the season went on? And of course, the answer is 100% no. Um, but Biennemi being a part of those chief teams and probably being a valuable part in some ways, uh, but not being a, a long-term sustainable part there. Matt Nagy was going to become the offensive coordinator last year, whether Eric Biennemi stayed or not. And I think that was going to be awkward. And so Biennemi found a taker in Washington. Wishing the best of luck. I would say that maybe his best opportunity uh, is college. I think Eric Bieniemy may be suited more for college coaching than pro coaching, um, and I'm not diminishing his 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 contribution in Kansas City to some some of those great teams. But it wasn't just him; it was Andy Reid, it was Patrick Mahomes, it was Tariq Hill, it was Travis Kelsey, it was Matt Nagy, who you know we had our good friend Steven Spector on from Kansas City a couple of weeks ago, and he said that Matt Nagy is the coach in waiting, and essentially everybody in Kansas City's known that for a while. But um, Eric Bieniemy, not a surprise to you know those of us locally who have been paying attention, will not be back 
uh, on this staff. All right, there was more from Quinn that I wanted to play, including what I thought was almost a theme to the press conference, which lasted you know somewhere around an hour. And for me, was my biggest takeaway. We'll get to that when we come back. And then it's your turn at 301-230-0980. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980 and the Team980.com. Sad news out of the world of country music. It was announced earlier this morning Toby Keith passed away at the age of 62. We had a long-fought battle with stomach cancer. His family announced on his Twitter page earlier this morning. Caps back in action tonight. NHL All-Star break is officially over. They host the Canadiens at 7. You can hear that on our sister station, 106.7 The Fan. Right here you'll hear the Terps hosting Rutgers at 6.30. Pre-game starts at 6. Tip-off at 6.30. That'll be heard on the Team 980. And that's what's trending. I would say, if I had to say two right now, it would be explosive and physical. That was the answer to a question about what a Dan Quinn team looks like from an identity standpoint. Scott Abraham from Channel 7 said, use a couple of adjectives to describe it. Um, And you heard that, uh, explosive and physical. Uh, We're playing some of the Dan Quinn answers yesterday on what was about an hour-long introductory press conference. It was Josh Harris kicking it off. Adam Peters followed. Um, one of the things I think we, we've realized about Adam Peters and the two press conferences he's, he's been involved in, he's very soft-spoken and very evas- evasive. Uh, he's not going to get into you know disclosing anything uh, from a competitive standpoint. He was asked by Ben Standig at one point about quarterback, and he said, we haven't even thought about quarterback. You know, I'm essentially paraphrasing. Yeah, really? You haven't thought about quarterback? Haven't discussed quarterback? You've been here for nearly three weeks? Please. But he shouldn't answer that question. Um, he shouldn't be uh, talking specifically about what their plans are. Um, so uh, there was a question about this idea that this current roster and then looking at the draft choices and cap space that perhaps this organization, this team, is in rebuild mode. Here's how Dan Quinn answered that. Your words, not mine. All right. So I'm, I'm really honestly glad that you, that you brought it up. And I know it's a big topic. And I would say this is a recalibrate, you know, finding our north again. And that starts, you know, with our identity of our club. So, no, I, you will not hear me say the word rebuild at all. Um, this is about assessing what we have, how do we add to that, and then how quickly we can accelerate this process together. Now, how do you do that? Connection, staff, offseason, into training camp, and then ultimately putting all these guys to find the best group to help us go play as well as we can, as fast as we can. So uh, there is no timeline on that, um, but we will push it hard uh, to see how good we can get and how fast we can get. But I see it much more as a recalibration to say, let's find our north, own our identity of how we're going to get it on, and then push hard to reach that. And uh, like all things, it takes some trust you know, between teammates, staff, personnel, ownership. But the more connection we have, the faster we'll get there. And uh, there's a lot to get done, but I honestly do not see um, that word as part of my thinking at all. You know, that's far different than what we heard four years ago when we heard, you know, the discussion of five-year plans and using sort of the military as kind of an analogy or context for, you know, this this rebuild, this this going to take time, you know, five years, et cetera, that Ron uh, displayed. Look, in the NFL today, you know, because of uh, the ability to turn it around so quickly, because the disparity in talent is so thin, and sometimes it just comes down to one or two key additions and some really good coaching, and by the way, some really good health and some good fortune, which, you know, ties into health as well. I mean, one year ago today, the Houston Texans were supposed to be, even after the draft, so less than a year, Uh, ago. Um, They were supposed to be by far one of the two or three worst teams in the NFL. Uh, That's not the way it played out. They won 10 games. They won a division. They hosted a playoff game. They won 
a playoff game. So you don't think about that as NFL people anymore, about you know long-term rebuilds. You just don't get the time for long-term rebuilds. doesn't mean that you're not patient. It doesn't mean that he's got to go 10-7 and seven in his first year. Um, but, you know, you don't get five years to, you know, you don't go, you know, four and 13, six and 11, then all of a sudden have an eight and nine season and everybody says, oh, here it comes. Here we go. Um, no, you got to turn it around faster. Uh, that's an awareness that Dan Quinn has. And there is an opportunity here in Washington to turn it around more quickly than, you know, a rebuild description would imply. You know, you've got some players. You might have better coaches now. You have a lot of draft picks and a lot of cap space. Uh, So it is possible for a faster turnaround. By the way, there was one other piece of news that we heard um, uh, uh, from, from Adam Peters, actually. He was... Asked about filling out his staff, you know, the front office, because I think we've all expected, well, when is Adam Peters going to start bringing in his new team? Here's what he said. Yeah, we have, I've gotten to meet all of our scouts finally now, went down to Mobile and got a chance to meet all of our college scouts, really like all of them. Uh, I knew the scouts in-house from my time here uh, the last couple of weeks, so it's a really good group. Uh, If we have a chance to add some talented people, we will. but I don't, I don't foresee making any changes throughout this whole draft process. I'm really really happy with who we have right now. I thought that was a really interesting answer. Um, one of the you know uh, quick and brief um, and maybe underrated answers of the presser. Uh, and I bet that some of you are kind of disappointed uh, with that because you look at anybody associated with this front office over the last few years and you're like, have you checked out our drafts? Have you checked out some of the free agency decisions? Look, there was an Albert Breer story yesterday that he wrote uh, in Monday Morning Quarterback, the SI.com edition of Monday Morning Quarterback, where he gave a blow-by-blow account of Washington's coach search, which landed on Dan Quinn. Um, and, you know, the guy that was involved with Adam Peters and Josh Harris and Spielman and Myers – Uh, consistently from the jump on all of these interviews was Martin Mayhew, according to Albert Breer, who, by the way, discussed that Quinn was, you know, a a, a real uh, positive, checked all the boxes from the first interview on, that he was absolutely a guy in contention from the beginning, which he was, um, regardless of what some have uh, you know, sort of pushed out there is this narrative that somehow Quinn was the seventh choice or, you know, plan F or, you know, basically they were scrambling so badly that they settled for, you know, a 2024 version of Jim Zorn. That's just not true. And if if anybody says it, don't believe that. It's just not true. And Albert Breer did a nice story, uh, did a nice job in his column of, you know, recounting that. I mean, that's Albert Breer. It's not Mike Florio. So there's more credibility um, there. But I thought it was interesting that he's going to basically, from that answer, he's just gone with who they have. And I think one of the things I thought about after hearing him answer the question that way is this is one of the reasons that Dan Quinn, it's one of many reasons, but it's one of the reasons that Dan Quinn is attractive and has been attractive to them since the moment they met him. Because Adam Peters is a first-time general manager. Dan Quinn is a second-time head coach. He's been in the league for 25-plus years. Dan Quinn can put together a staff more easily than Adam Peters is a first-time general manager. Adam Peters' talent is an evaluation. It may not be in the management of a team quite yet. I'm not saying he can't do it, but he's going to stick with everybody that's been here. Um, I thought that was interesting. Uh, all right, to me, the big takeaway uh, throughout this this presser yesterday was this idea that, uh, this is my take, that I heard from Quinn mostly, but also from Adam Peters, that goes back to what Adam Peters and Josh Harris said they would be looking for in a new head coach, leadership and a guy that would have a shared or what they referred to as an aligned vision of where they wanted to go. And I think what we heard from Quinn and Peters throughout 
was they are on the same page. I think Dan Quinn is really an Adam Peters guy as much as he is anybody else. I think everybody else loved him, and the Breer story kind of you know talks about he checked every box, you know, really impressed everybody from day one, and then in the first real interview face to face, you know, kind of blew him away. Um, not to mention how many people were recommending him. Um, but what you heard throughout yesterday was various references to the kind of team they want to create, not the scheme they want to play. Not, you know, anything related to football X's and O's. It was all about the kind of player they want. They called it play style, but it was the it's really player style that they referred to. So I'm going to play two of these back to back, which are kind of reflective of what we heard multiple times during the presser. Um, but this was on what it means to have a shared vision between the two, Dan Quinn and Adam Peters. I think it's probably deeper than scheme, you know, because uh, if you went around to the other 31 teams, there'd be a lot of the same scheme. There's going to be wide zone, this passing concept. It might be a version of cover three or man to man. So all 32 play some of that. It's more about the play style and the vision of how to feature players into that play style. And so that's one of the things that I love about coaching is finding unique traits that a player has and then how could we fit them into a system, into a structure to make it happen. And so I was fortunate in Dallas, it pushed me further um, into new places, into new things to find, you know, like a guy like Micah Parson, who was, wasn't just a linebacker and he could do other things. And so Adam and I have been at it together for a long time to know that there's a play style and traits that players have of length and speed and ball hawking ability and guys who can finish on offense, whether the explosive play is a screen that can go or a line of scrimmage play, like we both recognize that it does start up front and we know what that looks like and how it you know, fits in together. So we together wanted to make sure that like every time people see us play, they said, man, these guys are fast. They are physical. They absolutely you know, finish at a rate that's not normal. And so he's seen what that's looked like. He's lived it. You know, on you know the three clubs, you know, on his way up to see all that, and so having the ability to go to other teams, there is advantage to that, because for everybody else, and I've said this to owners before. I remember saying to the Jones, "We've never been anywhere else. This is like, this is the only way. When you get to other places, you find things that you would take along the way that you get to share about it." And so, just this morning, he and I are going through the roster again and and talking. So. It's more of a play style and an attitude and traits than it is a scheme of a 3-4 or 4-3. Football scheme evolves, and, but the player side of things and Adam and his staff and their crew of making sure we're always finding ways to feature the unique things that players have, and we'll work really hard to do that here. And then Adam Peters followed up on that. This is what he said. Yeah, I think you covered it all, but I'll, I'll probably be repeating you here a little bit. But yeah, it's it's that identity, that play style that we're looking for. That when you're watching the, the we call it the silent tape. When you're watching on TV and you turn the volume down, you just see how fast and physical and aggressive you are on both sides of the ball. Finishers, that type of style is what you're looking for. And whether it's four three three four, however you want to talk, wide zone, any type of offense, it's finding those types of guys that, and it's really the type of people that we want to bring in the building and people that love football, who are gonna, you know, give it all for for us on the on the field. So, really, throughout the whole process, where it's like we're speaking the same language. It's like I'm interviewing almost a person just like me who thinks the same way about football. So I think that would answer your question, hopefully. That's cool. This was, to me, a big takeaway, maybe the biggest for me. And I want to just make sure that everybody understands they both refer to play style as the trait. I just want – I think most of you probably understood what they were saying. Um, It could be a little bit misleading. They're not talking about the play type. They're talking about the player style, the, the, the style that the player plays, the traits that they're looking for in a player. Do you know how many times the word finishing or finisher was used? Five times by both of them. Think about the way Debo Samuel 
finishes a play on offense, the way that George Kittle finishes a play, or Christian McCaffrey, you know, or Jawan Jennings. Like the players, I, I've talked about this for a few years now, certainly the last two or three years. And I've said, I don't think in my all of my years of watching football, have I ever seen a team that's harder to tackle than the 49ers? Debo Samuel and Kittle are never tackled by the first guy that arrives. McCaffrey, same thing. And they are looking for finishers, physical finishers. That's the secret sauce, as Dan Quinn said. That's what you see on what Adam Peters called the silent tape. When you watch it on TV and you turn the volume down and you just see how fast and physical and aggressive you are on both sides of the balls, finishers, that type of style is what we're looking for. So that should guide us in looking at free agency and then looking at the draft. If these players aren't super competitive, super physical, yards after contact, tackles broken, playing fast and physical on defense. The irony of this is it's actually more about the 49er players here recently than the Cowboy players. Look, the Cowboys had very explosive players, don't get me wrong, and had fast physical players and playmakers on defense. But when you watch the Cowboys at times this year, up front they went small ball, you know, and they got run on. Uh, They got out physical, but the 49ers' talent, uh, obviously everybody would love to duplicate that. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's the trait that they both agree on is what they're going to be looking for. And I thought that that stood out in part just because in watching the Niners in recent years, there is a certain quality to their players that is very consistent, whether it's you know Warner or Greenlaw or Bosa on defense or Samuel or Kittle or Jennings or McCaffrey or, or Juszczyk on, on, on offense. And that should guide us in this offseason. If you're watching a player that's super talented but isn't super physical – you know, a guy, you're probably not going to get this team based on what they said yesterday to really take those players seriously. Um, anyway, I, I enjoyed the hour long press conference. I thought we got a lot out of who Dan Quinn is. And I think to a lesser degree, we learned a little bit more about Adam Peters. But what we definitely, well, I shouldn't say we, what I got out of it more than anything else. As it is that this was the best fit for Adam Peters. This is a guy that comes with a ton of experience. You know, this isn't somebody new like he is. This is a guy that's self-aware just like Adam Peters is. But they definitely are on the same page, at least as of now, subject to change, of course, as of now in terms of the kind of player they want on the roster. Your turn, 301-230-0980, 301-230-0980. Your reaction to Dan Quinn. We have a Twitter poll out there, the Window Nation Twitter poll, X poll of the day. How did you feel about the Dan Quinn press conference? How did you feel about his hiring after watching him in the press conference? Love the hire, like the hire, indifferent to the hire, hate the hire. Right now, like the hire. Uh, 51.4% carrying uh, the majority of uh, the audience. Um, I want your thoughts on what you, what you think of Dan Quinn now after watching him yesterday. Phone lines are open. Your call's next.